and I don't always get to say, I love you. I don't remember if I said that to Jamie yesterday morning. The last time Fred Guttenberg saw his 14-year-old daughter Jamie was when he dropped her off at school on Wednesday. She was one of the 17 people killed at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, after authorities say a former student opened fire at the school. And for those of you who know my Jamie, she was the life of the party. She was the energy in the room. She made people laugh. The grieving father spoke at a vigil Thursday night to honor the victims and to make sure they're not forgotten. I don't know what I do next. My wife is home, we are broken. But I can tell you, don't tell me there's no such thing as gun violence. It happened in Parkland. <sighs> Fred Guttenberg began his uh, public life after the murder of his daughter, Jamie, at the Stoneman Douglas High School outside of Miami and Parkland, Florida. Hard to believe it's been over five years since that tragedy where 17 people were killed and 17 others were injured. Fred Guttenberg has been busy using his advocacy platform to debunk popular myths that fuel the kind of gun violence that continues unabated. Indeed, the calendar reads February 22nd, uh, 2023, and already this year uh, we have uh, witnessed 82 mass shootings in America. Let me say that one more again. 82 mass shootings already this year, and this is the 22nd day of February, over 6,000 fellow citizens already murdered this year uh, at these mass shootings. Over 6,000 fellow citizens dead, 82 mass shootings, and we're not even out of the month of February as yet. That's what I mean when I say this kind of gun violence obviously continues unabated. Uh, Jamie Guttenberg's father, Fred, joins us now for a conversation about American Carnage, and I am delighted to have him on this program. Fred, how are you, sir? Good to have you on. Hey, Tavis. Um, I got to tell you, I haven't heard that video clip that you just played in a long time. Mm -hmm. Man, I'm crying right now. Mm. Um, it's been a while since I've listened to that. Um, you know, I often say to people, uh, that we're now five years out, but it still feels like five minutes. Mm. And listening to that just brought that reality home. Yeah, um, I, I didn't mean to to uh, to uh, no. Yeah. Listen, you're 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 good. This is this is reality. Yeah, you know, I mean, look at my friend Brett Cross and Uvalde, and what he's been writing lately about the torture and trauma he's going through since he lost his son in that shooting. This is reality in America, and and it doesn't have to be, mm. but it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I am grateful. Let me just start by saying this, uh, Fred Guttenberg. I am grateful for this hour. I've been looking forward to this hour. It's going to be uh, an amazing conversation. Hopefully people will be inspired and empowered and uh, encouraged by it, uh, but mostly they'll be educated by this conversation because nothing quite like talking to the parent of one of these babies, these precious babies who has been lost in any number of these uh, mass shootings in our country. Let me, let me just, and again, we got the hour. We're going to, we're going to uh, unpack a lot of stuff in this hour, but, but let me start with this, given what you've already said, uh, Fred, and that is as a parent who has lost uh, a baby, 
uh, lost mm-hmm. a child in one of these mass shootings. How do you process that more Americans aren't taking this issue of gun violence seriously? And let me let me tell you what I mean by that: that politicians don't take it more seriously, yeah. that everyday people don't take it more seriously. That every other day you look up, there's another mass shooting, which I'm sure triggers you and your wife and other family members of those who've been lost in these mass shootings. My my question simply is, how do you process, given the pain that you have, are now, and always will have to endure when you think about Jamie, how do you process that we just have not raised this issue higher up on the American agenda to do something about it? You know, it, it is for me, the question that people have asked me probably more than any other over the past few years. Mm-hmm. And, and I've gotten really good at compartmentalizing um, because I do go across this country and I've been to every state and I've been to every community and I've met with pretty much all of our politicians on a national level on a state and on a state level. And I've seen all the data and I think we have to really decipher what is happening? Mm-hmm. Because the majority of Americans do get it. <clears throat> the majority of Americans, over 80%, want something done. Mm-hmm. We have a president who gets it, who wants something done. We had, up until a couple of months ago, a House of Representatives who got it, who wanted something done. And we have a Senate that was able to find a bipartisan approach to getting something done. I don't look at it as the majority of people don't get it. Mm-hmm. I look at it as we as a country are being held hostage by a minority of people who refuse to acknowledge it, mm-hmm. who refuse to do something about it. You know, when you look at, at Congress, the House of Representatives right now does not reflect the majority of America. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the Senate, it doesn't reflect right now the majority of America, but at least it is under the leadership of Senator Schumer where things can go forward. Um, it's it's not that people don't get it. It's not that kids and families and moms and dads across communities across America aren't screaming to do more. It's that, and I'll just use the Senate as an example, you have 49 people who will just simply say no. Mm-hmm. And and that's the problem. So we need to really target our um, attention at, at that. Mm-hmm. And we need to commit. If, if America wants to know how you solve problems like this, stop complaining about the problems and get off your asses and vote at election because we got to fire some of these folks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're just getting started and he's already fired up. Uh, and when we come forward, I want to come right to that question. You heard uh, Fred Guttenberg say a moment ago that it's not that most of us don't get it. He's right. The data is clear. More than 80 percent of fellow citizens get this and they want something done about every poll, every study, every survey is above 80 percentile um, of folk who get it. But uh, Fred's point is that we're being held hostage. And I want to ask him directly and forthrightly when we come forward, who are we being held hostage by? He has a forthcoming book that drops in May. It's called American Carnage shattering the myths that fuel gun violence. Uh, So a great deal to talk about in this hour. But trust me, we'll start with that. Who's holding us hostage? You're listening to Fred Guttenberg, Jamie's dad, on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got 
free hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Fred Guttenberg, let me go uh, right to where I said I wanted to go, and that is picking up on your assessment, your statement yep. of moments ago that we are being held hostage. Who are we being held hostage by, Fred? Well, a lot of dark money. Mm. Um, in this case, a gun lobby, which um, has funded the election of a lot of people, um, you know, over the past, call it 20 or so years, that created the environment we live in today, and not just with regards to gun legislation, but so many other things as well. Um, you know, and, and if you look at that lobby, I mean, go back to 1977. That's when the NRA was taken over in a coup. Prior to the 77, they were, they were a gun group, but they did believe in safety. And America as a country, as a whole, was a country that pursued gun safety until 77 when the NRA was taken over. And since then, we've had to live with the reality that they've become a highly political organization that has funded the election of people who currently serve in the House and the Senate who don't follow the will of the majority. Um, and and, and we, we have to deal with it. Um, now, I will say this. Since Parkland, five years ago, mm-hmm. over three elections, you know, in 2018, we flipped the House. Okay? We made, we made NRA money toxic. And, and, and because of that, we were able to get legislation through the House. In 2020, we flipped the Senate and we elected Biden. And in, even in 2022, in the last election, while the House went backwards because of gerrymandering, mm. which, again, is affected by all of these same financial forces, mm-hmm. the truth is we actually elected more people who believe in gun safety. And, and so, America, what we need to do is vote. The, these same forces that are pushing gun violence upon us are the same forces that don't want us to get out and vote. When we vote, we get things done. Um, you said a few things. As I knew this hour was going to be rich, um, and I, I can oh. hear I can I can hear your emotion even as you speak. All these years later, five years later, uh, after losing your baby, I I, I still uh, can hear uh, in these headphones, as I'm sure the audience can through whatever device they're listening on. They can hear not just hear Fred, but feel um, um, some sense some sense of the pain. Uh, that you're still enduring five years later. But you've said a few things I want to come to right quick. Let me start with this. And you, uh, you're you not just a great spokesperson, but you're also uh, prophetic because you, you, you went somewhere that I wanted to go a moment ago and the word came out of your mouth faster than I can get it out. It seems to me that there are any number of things, I say this all the time on this program, Fred, there are a number of things I think that are threatening our democracy. Poverty is a threat to our democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, there are any number of things I can put on that list. But one of the things at the top of my list that I believe is a threat to the very existence of our democracy is the issue of gerrymandering. Now, we tend to see it as a political issue. It is, uh, no question about that, but I think it is literally a threat to the very future of our democracy. Why do I say that? Because as long as you have people in what they term safe seats, and there's absolutely nothing you can do essentially to get them out, that 49 number you mentioned of persons in the Senate who just say no to everything, isn't going to change overnight, and it may not change ultimately if we cannot do anything about gerrymandering. So since you raised it first, um, talk to me about how you think gerrymandering is at the epicenter 
of the problem that we face, not just on this issue, but on any number of other issues. Well, and listen, with regards to the Senate, because those are statewide campaigns, mm-hmm. less affected by gerrymandering. Sure. However, um, however, when you look at, at races that are in the House or look at state level races for a for the state uh, you know, House and Senate campaigns, not national, but statewide, sure. those are all affected by gerrymandering. Sure. And these local races are having a more dramatic impact on our politics and our lives than people maybe fully have understood. But, but, but I will tell you, these dark forces get it. And, and the, 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 this, this money gets it, which is why they've invested so much in all of these local state and Senate campaigns, in the school um, district campaigns, because these local campaigns matter in dramatic ways, and they do influence things that happen on a local and a national level. And so we, we have to be paying attention. Listen, I live in Florida, mm-hmm. okay? And I live in a state where gerrymandered uh, maps were shoved down our throats. And it's not that Ron DeSantis is a loved human being. He is not, mm-hmm. okay? However, because of gerrymandered maps, okay, he got, a, he got a result that he wanted. And because of the steps he did to tamp down turnout, you know, the DeSantis voters turned out, the Democratic voters did not, okay? And I think gerrymandering plays a role in that also, because if you start to realize that because of these maps, your vote doesn't count, you won't show up. Yeah. Um, first of all, <laughs> I think you'll appreciate this. Uh, I have started uh, for some time now saying to all of my friends or people I meet who say they live in Florida, my response very simply is, I'm praying for you. That's my response for everyday people tell me they live in Florida. Brother, sister, I'm praying for you. So, Fred, I'm praying for you because you live in Florida. All right. Uh, that, that said, that said, um, let me let me let me let me press the pause. But yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to press the pause button for a second on the politics. Uh, let me let me the politics yeah. and the economics that we're talking about and we'll talk about. Let me put a pause on that for just a second. It, it's clear to me. As I listen to you, what we're 22 minutes into this conversation that will go for another 40 minutes or so. We're 22 minutes in, and it is so abundantly clear to me the ways that you have steeped, and I do mean steeped yourself in these issues since you lost Jamie five years ago to gun violence. I hear it. You are so adroit and adept at answering these questions. You know the issues well. Um, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but let me just ask you this question. Cause I want, I want to build on this. What, so, so work with me one question at a time. What were you doing professionally prior to Jamie being murdered in this mass shooting? It's a good question. Um, and I have to take a step back one year okay. prior to the shooting. Okay. Just over one year prior to the shooting, I sold my business. I was a Dunkin' Donuts franchisee. Okay. And good coffee, by the way. Good coffee. Good uh, coffee. Yeah, go ahead. It's the best. Yeah. Um, in addition to being a, a proud Dunkin' Donuts franchisee, what I mainly was was just a goofy dad of two kids. Mm-hmm. That was my life. Everything my kids did, I did. When my daughter needed things happen in the dance, I was there. When my son had things going on with hockey, I was there. And that includes my wife. That's just who we were as parents. Mm-hmm. And, and I was not. Um, sadly, um, somebody who threw himself into the world of issues and politics. Um, I live 
with guilt to this day that I didn't get involved until it was my kid. Mm. Um, because maybe if I had been putting my voice into it back then, I could have had some kind of a change back then. Um, and it's something that I'll live with until the day I die. Um, but, but just, I just want to fast forward because, you know, I sold my business. It was in November of 2016. Mm -hmm. My brother at the time was sick with cancer. My brother ran the triage for the world trade center and was sick with cancer because of it. And he died four months before my daughter was killed. I spent that year before she was killed, going back and forth to New York to help my brother out. When in the months prior to Jamie's getting killed, I wasn't working. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. I was looking for a purpose mm. as mu- as crazy as that sounds. And then my daughter got killed. Mm. Lord, I, I, I did not know that answer was forthcoming uh, when I posed that question, but I am elated uh, that I ask you because it takes me exactly in the direction that I want to uh, move this conversation. And that is, um, to ask why it is then that you so steeped yourself in this. I think I get it now, given your, given your answer, that you were looking for a purpose. You were looking for a calling. You were looking for a vocation. But what you're doing now um, is a long way from making them donuts, Fred. <laughs> it for sure is. But it, it's a long way from that. It also makes everything I've ever done before it feel trivial. Yeah. Um, I I can't imagine for the rest of my life ever doing anything else because nothing will ever have more meaning than being a part of saving somebody's life. Yeah. Um, you'll appreciate this. Uh, whenever people uh, contact me in the mornings, I try not to do too much talking or communicating before I go on the air. In Los Angeles, I'm on the air 9 a.m. to 12 noon, and I need to get my mind right and get myself ready to go on the air to do this three-hour show every day to talk to interesting and fascinating and committed and courageous people such as yourself. I need to be mentally ready for the three hours in front of me, and so I try not to talk to people. But when they do reach out to me and I have to respond quickly to something, I tell them I can't talk. It's time to make the donuts. Uh, and I mm-hmm. just told somebody that this morning. I can't talk right now. It's time to make the donuts. If you live long enough, you know the commercial. Uh, it's time to make the donuts. And so he, here I am. Do you remember his name? Do you remember his name? I do not. I remember the commercial, but not his name. Fred the Baker. Fred the Baker. That's correct. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. It was Fred the Baker. Exactly. Well, it, yeah. I love it. I love it. It comes full circle, right? So uh, I'm talking to Fred the former Baker. Uh, Guttenberg. Fred, the former Baker Guttenberg, is our guest in this hour. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, a tragedy, but uh, life goes on. And so we try to find some humor uh, here and there. But we are ostensibly talking about the murder of his uh, of his daughter, Jamie, uh, five years ago in that Stoneman Douglas High School uh, mass shooting. Again, in case you've just tuned in, we're now at 82 mass shootings this year alone. Over 6,000 fellow citizens killed in those mass shootings. Uh, We are clearly headed in the wrong direction. I've got news, traffic, and sports in two minutes, Fred. We can continue on the other side, but just take these next two minutes to tell me about Jamie before we go forward. Jamie, and, and it was in the clip that you started the show with, she was the energy in every room she ever went into. You were either laughing because of Jamie or you were yelling because of Jamie, but you were always responding to Jamie. Mm -hmm. Um, She was a beautiful, energetic person 
who was a competitive dancer and who, who despised bullies. She would, in school, she would put herself in between someone being bullied and a bully to make it stop um, to the point where her dad got far too worried about it because I was worried that she was going to come home with a black eye one day, mm. um, you know, because my daughter was a petite little thing, but she didn't want to be told she was a petite little thing. Um, she thought of herself as tough and fierce, and she was. Um, she would have done everything possible to do what I'm doing now, which is if she were alive, to be a part of stopping the next one. Yeah. Um, this is so hard to process in part because it is so unorthodox. It is not the way, uh, if I can put it this way, that uh, that our creator designed things. Parents no. uh, are supposed. Parents are not supposed to outlive their children. How do you process the fact that you have outlived Jamie? I, I start by refusing to look at my daughter in the past tense. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this. Um, I think of it as our relationship has changed, uh, that I'm not creating new memories with Jamie, but I'm creating memories and, and important changes with Jamie standing on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I can't look at her in the past tense. If, if, if I ever did, I'd fall apart. Nope. I received that. I received that. Uh, when we come forward after news, traffic and sports, I want to come back to uh, something that Fred uh, Guttenberg teed up moments ago. And that is um, the guilt that he still lives with for not having been involved before he lost his child. And I can assume uh, and guess that you probably know where I'm going when we come forward after news, traffic and sports. Uh, but this notion of feeling guilty about not having been involved. I've said many times uh, that, uh, that politics, that activism, advocacy is not a spectator sport on this issue or any other. Um, activism, advocacy is not a spectator sport. You got to get off the sidelines and get involved in the game. I, I, I'm able to tell you what to do, but you got to do something. And certainly in our community, uh, there are just too many issues that are begging, asking us to assign ourselves to them. So assign yourself to something. But you cannot stay on the sideline and to hear Fred say he has felt guilty for not having been more uh, actively engaged and involved prior to losing Jamie uh, just hit me. And I hope it hit you. We'll continue with Fred Guttenberg, Jamie's dad, when we come forward after news, traffic and sports on KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. loud. KBLA Talk 1580. Broadcasting live from Lower Park, USA. Welcome back to your home for unapologetically progressive radio. KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley. He is uh, Fred Guttenberg, and uh, we are talking in this hour uh, about uh, his public life, his public journey since losing his daughter um, in that Stoneman Douglas High School mass shooting some five years ago. Seventeen people were killed, uh, including, again, his daughter, Jamie. Seventeen others were injured. Um, in case uh, you're just tuning in, I've said this twice already. I want to say it again. Uh, we are at February 22nd on the calendar. 82, 82 mass shootings already this year. Over 6,000 fellow citizens uh, murdered uh, at these mass shootings uh, in this year alone. Fred Guttenberg has a book that drops in May. It's called American Carnage, Shattering the Myths 
that fuel gun violence, shattering the myths that fuel gun violence. So you ready, afraid for that question I said I wanted to come to you right away? 100%. Take it away, sir. So what, 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 oh, I thought you were going to ask, which question was that? about? It was about guilt. Yes, yes. Um, you said you were feeling guilty um, about yeah. not having uh, been more actively engaged and involved before you lost Jamie um, to this uh, mass murder five years ago. And I was saying, uh, as I've often said, that politics is not a spectator sport. you got to get off the sideline and get involved in the process on this or any other issue. It matters not to me what the issue is because there is so much that troubles us as uh, American citizens, so much that travails us. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but you got to do something. And to do something, you got to get off the sideline and get involved. But to hear you confess so publicly uh, and with such transparency that you have felt bad that prior to losing Jamie, you had not been more actively engaged in the process. Um, you were a businessman yeah. making donuts every day. is a lot of work. I get that. But uh, to, for you to confess that you felt bad about not being more actively engaged as a fellow citizen, um, I thought you might want to say a bit more about that. No, listen, Travis, I, you know, last week I was on with, with Morning Joe. Mm -hmm. and I love Joe. That's my good friend, I, by the way. Love that guy. I know it is. Yeah. And I mention it because for me, watching Morning Joe in my house has just sort of been ritual for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Jamie would wake up in the morning, and the way I would know she was awake, she would yell down the stairs and say, hey, Dad, and then the next thing would be, are you watching Morning Joe? Because mm -hmm. Jamie knew that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. That's the way my day started, mm -hmm. and, and, and I don't have that anymore. And, and I was a guy who knew what was going on, mm -hmm. who paid attention to what was going on, who was upset by what was going on, but I didn't get involved and I didn't engage. And I, 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 I'm not sure I can process just how deeply that bothers me now. Um, it, it is, but I, I spent, have spent the past five years wanting people to know it. Mm -hmm. And wanting people to understand more than anything else what it feels like to lose a child, because I don't want them to do what I did. I don't want them to sit on the couch watching Morning Joe or another program. I want them to get up and go challenge their politicians. I want them to get up and, and write op-eds or go on social media. I want them to publicly let everybody know how much they love their kids by fighting to prevent them from becoming the next victim of gun violence. I wasn't doing it until it was my kid. Yeah. Don't be like me. Mm. I, I am, I, I am uh, waiting um, with bated breath, uh, as they say, to read your book, American Carnage, shattering the myths that fuel gun violence when it drops in May. And, and I look forward to perhaps having you back on then for another conversation to delve more, sure. uh, more deeply into the text uh, when it comes out. But I'll tell you one thing I am fascinated by right now, and I don't know that it'll be covered in the book, likely not, but I want to cover it right now because it hit me so hard uh, when you uh, shared this moments ago in this conversation. I can't imagine what it's like to lose a child, as we said earlier, it, it's not supposed to be that way. Parents are not supposed to outlive their babies. But in your case, you have been connected to two persons in two yeah. of the most notable tragedies in the history of this republic. 
Um, again, the, the, the shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School uh, outside of Miami in Parkland, Florida, made all kind of national and international news. You lose your precious baby Jamie in that mass shooting. But then you mentioned that you lost your brother who caught cancer, yeah. who got cancer because he was uh, connected to, and uh, uh, I'll let you explain it uh, more expressly, uh, to the tragedy uh, of 9-11 uh, at, the, at the Twin Towers in New York City. Um, what's it like to be one dude who's connected to two seminal, notable moments in American history? Well, listen, and, and I wrote my other book, Find the Helpers, to tell this story. Right. Um, and the amazing people who, who've, who've helped me and my family through both. But it, it's, it's not just two seminal moments. I look at this as being a part of two Yes, seminal moments in American history, but one was foreign terrorism, mm. and one I would classify as domestic terrorism. Ah, yes. And 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 the thing about it is, and and I remember every minute of this because my brother was in the World Trade Center when it collapsed. Amazingly, where he hid out the room that he hid out in with ten other doctors, it didn't collapse. Everything else around them was rubble. But this country didn't wait. It didn't question. It stepped forward to make sure the next one wouldn't happen. Mm. It took things that, without a doubt, had an effect on our personal liberties. We fly differently now, okay, because of it. There's so many things we did as a country to stop the next one. And gun violence is being treated differently. Mm. Gun violence is not getting the same kind of reaction. And by the way, Saying you want to reduce gun violence, saying you want to reduce deaths related to gun violence, doesn't mean you're anti-gun or anti-Second Amendment. That's the BS that the lobby wants people to believe. Doesn't make me a an anti-gunner, which is what they call me. Mm-hmm. It means I hate gun violence, and I respect your right, and you know, in America to to own a weapon, but work with me to reduce the instances of violence for those who shouldn't carry weapons, and to reduce the gun violence death rate because of the fact that we now have over 400 million weapons in this country that's more guns than people. Yeah, yeah. I promise we'll come to this notion of gun violence and gun safety in the Second Amendment in just a moment here. You've already put your finger on it, and we'll circle back to that. Let me ask you right quick, though, what you make of the fact I am not Fred Gutman, Fred Guttenberg, I am not um, naive in asking this question, but what do you make of the fact that we have taken the foreign terrorism more seriously than the domestic terrorism? How do you process that? Well, I'll start off by saying with a level of anger um, that I probably can't say on this um, radio <laughs> program. Um, yeah. But... It's incomprehensible. It is, it is, un, listen, the next act of gun violence is predictable. Mm-hmm. It is inevitable. In fact, it's happening in the hour that we're on this conversation, just wow. so you know. Wow, yeah. That's, when you look at the numbers, mm-hmm. and any given hour, uh, on any given day in America, gun violence is happening. Mm-hmm. So while we're on here for an hour, gun violence is happening. Just before I came onto your radio program, there was reports of something happening at a school in Colorado. I'm not sure where the news has gone on that mm-hmm. and what has happened, but there were breaking reports. 
So I'll, when we get off this conversation, I will look into that again. But that's, that's America today. And so the fact that we can't as a country, um, fire that minority of people who make it possible to not do the things we need to do, um, to save the life of someone we love, which again, we did after foreign terrorism. It it blows me away. I I, I will tell you, we started, we started in April, we passed gun safety legislation for the first time in 30 years, Mm -hmm. but it's going to take a while to bend the curve. When we come forward, um, I want to come back to something I've been uh, taking note of uh, uh, as we've talked to Fred uh, Guttenberg throughout this hour. And I don't want to color it too much because I I don't know the answer to this question. I'm going to pose it on the other side here. But as we've talked for an hour, uh, Fred has used these two phrases alternately. He's talked about gun violence. He's talked about gun safety. I've heard it time and time again. Gun safety and gun violence come out of his mouth during this conversation. I have not heard him use the phrase gun control. I, I want to come nope. to that. I want to come to that in a moment. See, he said nope already. I want to come to that. I, I figured there was something there. I, I'm always paying attention to the way people express themselves. And if you listen, what you guys hear me say all the time, you have to listen charitably, generous listening, charitable listening. If you pay attention, the guest will always tell you where to take the conversation. They will tell you what needs to be unpacked. They will tell you what needs to be interrogated if you would but listen. So why has he never said gun control? Why has he only said gun violence? Why has he only said gun safety? I think I can figure it out. I'm going to ask Fred directly when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate meets a scholarly match. I'm Tavis Smiley. Uh, before I go back to Fred Guttenberg, I am trying to pull this up on my phone right quick, uh, and it's not letting me read this article because I am not. Uh... JD, hop on the. You got that story right quick. Hop on the microphone right quick and tell you what you're what you're reading. Uh, just come in the studio right quick here. Um, I want I want to do this right quick because uh, Fred Guttenberg made the point earlier that every hour in America. Something is happening vis-a-vis gun violence. And he was making the point that before he came on this radio program, he was just seeing some breaking story about something in Colorado. And um, he's right. While we've been talking, uh, another one of these shootings takes place. What are you reading right quick? Yeah, the headline reads, several injured in Colorado Springs shooting. Uh, Colorado Springs police are investigating a shooting that sent several people to the hospital. KKTV in Colorado Springs report a fight among two groups of people may have led to the shooting. Mm. So there you go, Fred. You, you, you were right once again. What you saw uh, was, in fact, a developing story. It is still a developing story. But uh, just put a finer point on that about how often gun violence happens in this country, because you're right. While we've been in this conversation, another shooting takes place. You know what, though? The other part of that sentence that really caught my attention is it started with a fight. You know, when we were younger, if we got into a fight with two people, it ended with some punches and we all moved on. Mm-hmm. You know, but we now we've allowed this to get to a place where fights get settled with guns because there's too many of these. And listen, you know, you you have you have states and communities with really, really permissive gun laws where the guns will easily flow to those who want access to them, even if they shouldn't have, mm-hmm. um, you know. For if, if you follow my social media, I've often said the real border crisis in America is between the states mm. because we have certain states that are literally pushing guns out across this country and fights like this end up now being settled with guns. It's not OK. 
since you mentioned it, uh, I wanted to ask anyway, for those who uh, uh, are been so moved by this conversation as I have been, that they now want to follow you on social media. Give me your social media stuff and we'll come forward from there. Yeah, I'm on, on Twitter, Fred underscore Guttenberg. Um, that's my main place if you want to follow me. But I also have a personal website, um, fred.guttenberg.com. And Guttenberg is G-U-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G. B-E-R-G. You, you got it. In our remaining moments with Fred Guttenberg, when we come forward, I didn't miss it. I just wanted to get that breaking news out since Fred mentioned it, and it just underlines how how necessary these conversations are, how, how prescient and uh, on point he was when he made the point. This stuff happens every hour, and literally, as he puts his finger on it, it is happening in or has happened uh, in Colorado over these last 60 minutes. When we come forward, though, we'll get to that question that I that I uh, teed up a moment ago uh, uh, as to why I have only heard him use the phrase gun violence and gun safety and not gun control. I think I know where he's going with this. Words matter. Language matters, particularly when you're involved in a campaign like the one he's involved in. And maybe telling folk with guns that you want to control them, gun control, is not the right messaging. That's just my take. I could be wrong. We'll see what Fred Guttenberg says about it when we come forward on KBLA Talk fifteen eight. You're listening to Fred Guttenberg, Jamie's father, on KBLA Talk 1580, and what a joy um, it has been to have him on. I wish we were talking under different circumstances, and I know he does as well, um, but it is what it is, and he has made himself um, a a committed um, fellow citizen to addressing uh, these issues of gun violence and gun safety. His book drops in May. It's called American Carnage, Shattering the Myths That Fuel Gun Violence. We'll have Fred back, I promise you. Uh, when we get to May and that text drops. But, Fred, let me close in the last few minutes that we have with asking you whether or not, whether or not I heard you correctly and whether or not I was you know, parsing your language uh, the right way. No, there's no such thing as gun control. It's a made-up term by the gun lobby to talk about people like me. Um, but there is no such thing. The notion that wanting to reduce gun violence as gun control is just a load of you-know-what. Mm-hmm. Um, and ideally, <clears throat> listen, I talk to gun owners every day across this country who agree with me. Taking steps to keep guns out of the hands of those who intend harm to someone else or themselves, because about two-thirds of all gun violence is self-directed, is not gun control. It's rational. It's sane. And it doesn't interfere with the rights of any lawful gun owner. In Florida, three weeks after Parkland, we passed gun safety measures, red flag laws. We raised the age of 21. Not a single legal lawful gun owner has ever thought of that law because it doesn't affect them. Mm. Let me close with this. When you said earlier in this conversation, uh, Fred uh, Guttenberg, that you can't imagine now, five years after losing, Jamie, you can't imagine uh, doing anything else for the rest of your life. Um, I hear you. Uh, I feel you. And yet, as you know, you are climbing up a steep hill. Um, So to commit yourself to something for the rest of your life on which we have made scant progress for the majority of your life uh, is a serious commitment. So tell me why you are so unalterably committed to doing something that, you know, uh, as we say in the black church, is climbing up the rough side of the mountain. The two toughest people I've ever done in my life are my brother and my daughter. And they stand behind me, pushing me forward. I'll never stop. No better place to leave it uh, than there. Um, as we've said already in this conversation more than once, uh, it, it's hard to imagine losing a child. And I know full well, and Fred Guttenberg knows it much better, that you never close on the death of a loved one like you close on a house. Uh, but I also can't imagine anything that Fred Guttenberg could be doing uh, to better 
serve um, the the life uh, and legacy of Jamie, and I am uh, delighted to have had him on this program for the hour. His book is called American Carnage, Shattering the Myths That Fuel Gun Violence. The book comes out in May, and when it drops, I promise you, uh, given this conversation today, that Fred Gut- Fred Guttenberg will be back on this program so long as he says yes to our invitation. Yes, Fred, sir. All right, my friend. Thank you for your time. Good to have you on. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing to talk to somebody who can be so open and so transparent uh, and indeed so humble um, about the work that he's doing. He's having an impact. As you heard him say earlier, uh, they passed some significant laws in the state of Florida because of his advocacy and others who he has um, convinced to work alongside him. Uh, again, I can't imagine losing a baby, uh, but um, to the extent that he is doing everything he can uh, to make sure it doesn't happen to your child, it's a beautiful thing. Fred Guttenberg. We thank you once again for this hour on KBLA Talk 1580. When we come forward, Hour 3 of Tabby Smiley, the motivator, Les Brown, on KBLA Talk 1580.